Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Um, I've been on an assignment recently, and I want to continue along the lines of that assignment. And just quickly, I will um, remind us about the stronghold of the Word that we are to be building continually in our life. Uh, that phrase, a stronghold of the word, dropped in my spirit uh, some months ago. And it was interesting, while I was at the Kenneth Copeland Ministers Conference in, the, in January, that two different ministers used that same phrase or a similar phrase. Brother Copeland used the phrase, a stronghold of faith. And then uh, uh, Dennis Burke preached about a stronghold of the word. And I had already preached it the Sunday previous in the Little Rock campus. And so I was, I, you know, anytime you hear a confirmation in the body of Christ that God is speaking to other people along the same lines, it stirs you and you're just like, thank you, Lord. Uh, but he put in my heart in, in a contrast to the stronghold that is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says in verses 3 through 5 that the weapons of our warfare, we do not war after uh, flesh and blood, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. Uh, and then it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we have identified that the weapons God has equipped us with work to pull down enemy strongholds that may have been built in our lives. And I put to you that we can use these same weapons to war for others as well who may have strongholds of unbelief that the enemy has built into their life. And the stronghold is something that is entrenched. It is something that is well fortified. But the Bible also refers to God as being a stronghold for us. Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. So that reference to a stronghold in in a positive reference, it is safety, a stronghold. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the same concept of a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place where you can, the enemy can launch missiles, he can fight against you, but you are in the castle walls, you are in the stronghold, he can't reach you, he can't touch you. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, and so just making sure everybody's awake tonight. Hallelujah. He can't touch you. He can't touch you when you're in the stronghold. So God is a stronghold and he's given us his word so that we can build in our life in the same way that words or thoughts of the enemy can build wrong strongholds that become imprisonments or, or places of bondage 
for a person, fear is a stronghold. Phobias are strongholds. Addictions are strongholds. Uh, prejudice is a stronghold. It's something that has, it started as a thought, but it was practiced and allowed processes uh, so that that thought became an imagination and that imagination became a stronghold that now held the person in bondage. But in the same way, because everything Satan does, he didn't originate anything. He just copycats what God has originated. God intended for his word to be received into the heart or the spirit of man, received and practiced and continually put into practice in our life until it becomes entrenched in our life and we have a stronghold of faith. We have a stronghold of healing. We have a stronghold of righteousness. We have a stronghold of what we talked about this morning, a stronghold of the blood of Jesus so that we know who we are because of that blood, that the truth of what the blood has accomplished is entrenched in our life and it becomes a safety for us. It becomes something that is protective to us. And so that requires time in the Word. It requires attention in the Word. It's not just going to happen because we get hands laid on us. It's not going to happen just because we read it one time, but it's going to happen because we receive that Word and we put it into practice and we have that continual flow of that Word or operation of that Word in our life. And so tonight I'm going to talk another, about another aspect, another stronghold. So I've touched on a few of these and I encourage you to go to our podcast or go to the YouTube channel and look at both campuses so that you can pick up, because I've taught on it here the last time I was here, and I've taught on it some in the Little Rock campus. But you can uh, look at some of the different groundwork that was laid about that stronghold of the Word, and you can also see some of the different strongholds that as believers we must develop in our life. Strongholds of the word. And tonight I'm going to talk about a stronghold of victory. How's that? And we sang about it tonight, our victory. And and, and a lot of the different phrases that we had in, in those last two songs, there were phrases about our overcoming about how Jesus conquered the grave and how our victories in the cross and sin no longer has dominion over us. Amen? And so I want to look at our victory for just a moment. Can you look with me at, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Hallelujah. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. That always puts us in a perpetual state. Always means this is always available. This is always operative. This is always accurate. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. He always causes us to triumph. So when you are faced with the possibility of defeat, if you have a stronghold that God always causes me to triumph, it's going to cause your response to be different 
than if you, didn't, if you lacked that stronghold of this confidence in the victory that you have in Christ. He always causes me to triumph. Also look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse, let's begin in 55. Oh death, where is your sting? Ooh, doesn't that sound sassy? Hey! Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, you be steadfast. You be unmovable. Always abounding. Why? Therefore. Why should I always be unmoving? Why should I be abounding? Why should I be steadfast? Because God gives us the victory. God gives us the victory. Gives is a word that is present tense. So two weeks from now, if you need it, just open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and it will be present tense. He gives me the victory. It it doesn't put it off in the future, going to give. He gives. He gives. That's that's a right now kind of word. He gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ or through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. I'm just settling. I'm just establishing this victory position and then we're going to back up and find out how to how to put it into operation. Romans 8:33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Here's another sassy text, okay? Here's another. And, this, and when I say sassy, I'm saying this is being birthed out of a revelation of the victory. This is being birthed out of a confidence in the victory that, that, uh, that pertains to us. Who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, let me just give you the, the, this is an open book test. So these questions, the answer, that I'm going to just go ahead and, and equip you with the answer. There is no one. There is no one. So all of these questions have the same answer. There is no one. There is no one who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. There is no one who can condemn us because it's Christ that died for us and is risen again and is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Who will separate us? There is no one. And But then he begins to go through different circumstances that try to separate us from the love of God. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting to you that verse 36 is not to tell you gloom, despair, and agony on you. 
He's quoting something that evidently they had been pulling out and using incorrectly. He said, I, no, he said yeah, oh, 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 we're counted like sheep for the slaughter. Oh, oh, it's, it's a hard old way. And, you know, serving God is a hard old way. You're going to serve me. You pray for patience. God's going to put you through some tests. And so he's pulling out one of those that they are using incorrectly and saying, we are killed all the day long. We're counted like sheep for the slaughter. And then he said, no, nay, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So verse 36 wasn't negating everything and saying, because you're a Christian, it's going to be hard. And because you're a believer, it's going to be hard. Where's the victory in that? He said, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. I love the illustration that has been used many times, but I'm going to use it again because it's just so fitting. The prize fighter has gone in. He has fought through every round. He has taken every blow. He has withstood every punch and every jab and every different uh, uh, assault that his, his uh, opponent has laid upon him. He has been, they walked over, they lifted his arm and they declared him winner, handed him that belt. He's got the championship belt. He's been declared winner. They give him the check and he walks to his house and he enters in to tell his wife, look, I've won the fight and, and here's the check. And she says, she's the recipient of the check. And she didn't have to have one jab. She didn't have to have one punch. And you and I, we're the recipient of all the victory. And we didn't have to have one hand crucified to the cross. We didn't have to have one stripe laid on our back. But we get the benefit of the healing. We get the benefit of the freedom. We didn't have to become sin. He became sin for us. He became cursed for us. We didn't have to be cursed. We get to be set free from all of those things. We get all the benefit. That's more than a conqueror. That's more than a conqueror. And it says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see here that we are established not only in triumph, not only in victory, but as more than conquerors because we get to receive all the results of the victory without having to suffer what it took to gain the victory. Look with me at the book of Ephesians and let's look at chapter 6. And if anybody is really cold, just lift your hand because I I see some of you kind of shivering. (laughs) Hallelujah. Everybody good? Ephesians chapter 6. 
And let's look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I know there is so much in this chapter that oftentimes we'll just kind of push right through that to try to get to all of the different aspects of the armor of God. But what I want us to see tonight is our victory. He said, we are able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are able now. We are able to stand against the wiles. The word wiles means strategies. It means devices. It means his plans, his purposes. We are able to stand against them. Hallelujah. We do not fear an attack of the enemy. He is defeated. We are not the militant church. We are not a church trying to get victory or gain ground. We are the triumphant church. We already have the victory. We're not entering into the proverbial boxing ring trying to gain a championship. We're the champions. We're already positioned as victorious, triumphant. He always causes us to triumph. We're not trying to get victory. We're not trying to gain victory. If you're trying to gain something you already have, you're going to be at a loss from that from, from the already. You're already at a loss if you're trying to get something you've already got. It would be like me begging my husband to marry me. Please marry me. Please make me your wife. Please make me your wife. I want to be your wife. I just need to be your wife. Please. He can't do anything more than he's already done to make me his wife. I'm already his wife. I have to come into agreement with that. I have to walk in the light of that truth. I am already his wife. I'm already made victorious. I'm not trying to get victory. If I'm trying to get something I already have, I'm not in faith. And, and I'm, I, there's nothing God can do to give me more victory than He's already given me. There's nothing He can do to make me more victorious than He's already made me in Christ. He's all, it's already done. It's established. The key is walking in it. And to walk in it, I've got to believe in it. I've got to, uh, I've got to accept it. I've got to submit to it. You know, it says that uh, concerning righteousness. Righteousness is another aspect. God can't do anything to make you more righteous than He made you in Christ. Jesus became sin so that you would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You can't do anything to make you more righteous and God can't do anything to make you more righteous because you are already the righteousness of God in Christ when you're born again. But the Bible says that the, the Jewish people who were not receiving Christ, that they went about trying to use their righteousness, and because of that, they never submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So there's a submitting 
to the righteousness of God for me to be able to walk in it. I've got to submit that Jesus became sin for me. I have to submit to that. Jesus became sin for me and by Him becoming sin, I've been made righteous. I submit myself to that. In the same way, because He gained the victory for me, He has made me victorious, I've got to submit to that. I've got to accept that. I've got to put myself in agreement with that. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, How can two walk together except they be agreed? And for us to walk in the path that God has for us, we've got to agree with Him. And He said, and we've looked at all of them already, He always causes us to triumph. Just agree with that. He gives you the victory. Go ahead and agree with that. Begin to put that in operation in your life by declaring it out of your life. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph. I remember hearing uh, Brother Keith Moore say that, that he, he said, it was something I just noticed as I worked with Brother Hagen. We would be walking into a conference center or walking into an office or walking down a hallway and I would be walking along behind him and I would hear him say, thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph. He said it was a scripture I heard him mumble to himself many, many, many times. Hallelujah. What was he doing? He was agreeing with that. He was putting it into operation by bringing it out of his heart through his mouth and, and authorizing it to have its work in, its, in his life. So when it says that we are able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that's because we are victorious. Let's read on. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The word against is in this one verse five times. And it's in this verse five times because of the emphasis that it places. This word against is a Greek word that means face-to-face. -face. Close contact battle. Face-to-face. -face. We wrestle not against face-to-face flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And it's not in here to scare you. It's not in here to bring any, any way, shape, or form, any fear or any terror into your life. That should... So... Why, I already am entrenched in my victory. So if the enemy comes, he's going to go down. <laughs> if the enemy comes against me, I'm going to come out victorious. And why would I fear? Who shall I fear? If God be for me, who should I fear? And see, this takes the renewing of the mind because we've been raised in a society that teaches people to fear the devil. Movies teaching people to fear the devil. All kinds of literature and different things that, that it, it meaning in, 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 in a way of entertainment, but the underlying emphasis of it is that he has something to be afraid of. But not for you, not for me, not for us in Christ. 
Because there's not one weapon that he can form that should be able to prosper against us. If we'll take our place in Christ, how can the enemy defeat a man in Christ? If I'm in Christ, I'm in victory. And that's where I live. Is that where you live? That's where we live. We don't ever step out of Christ. We just live in Christ 24 hours a day. You don't ever have to exit from your position in Christ. You, you walk from your place in Christ and you walk in a continual victory against any attack the enemy can bring. Because I'm able, I am able to stand against. And so it says in verse 13, Take unto you the whole armor of God. And here we go again that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You are able to stand. And that stand is a victory stand. That's not a tie a knot at the end of the rope and hang on kind of stand. This is a victory stand. You are able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. And then he begins to tell you how to stand in all of this armor. And he goes through the different armor. But I want to emphasize, you are able to stand. There's not anything that the enemy is is capable of defeating you in if you will stand against. If you will stand against, you are more than able. You are more than a conqueror. You are triumphant in Christ. Stand triumphant. Stand your ground in the victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's, let's look from a different aspect and we'll, we'll take it from 1 John chapter 5 and we'll see this victory stated again in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes this is your method of operation. You, my friend, you, my, my brother, sister, you, my church family, you are overcomers. Amen. This is how we roll. Amen. We overcome. Amen. We overcome. And it speaks of us in the book of Revelations. We can find out, we can just go ahead and identify the testimony they're going to give about you. Because the testimony they give about you in heaven is these are they which overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Amen. We, we, these are they which overcome. That, that's us. He's talking about us. We are the ones who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the word of our testimony is what we say. Remember what Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, so that you may boldly say, that's my testimony, I will not fear what man can do unto me. Amen. That's my testimony, I will not fear. Because God's never going to leave me, He's never going to forsake me. So that's my testimony. I'm testifying that I can stand against any wile of the enemy. That I am able to stand in the evil day. That's my testimony. Is that your testimony today? And so he says, those that are born of God, whatsoever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that they use, you could say. This is the victory that they employ. This is the instrument that they, uh, that they 
operate to overcome. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I have, I, I noticed this when I started preaching it in Spanish, that in Spanish they put it in past tense. And since that time I've went to look in other, other versions and I find that it also puts a lot of the other Bible translations put this, this is the victory that has overcome. Spanish did it, and Spanish is very close to the original language, and so it sparked my interest, and I began looking in a lot of the other translations, and it says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. And when I began to see that, I realized Jesus overcame the world, and then he took his tool, he took his weapon, and he gave me his weapon to use so that I can overcome the same way he did. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Well, you, we can definitely apply it in, in specific areas. We could say, you know, faith in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 gives me the victory to overcome sickness. Because by his stripes I was healed. Faith in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 gives me the victory because surely uh, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement necessary to obtain my peace was laid upon him and by his wounds I am healed. And so my faith in that connects me to the victory that is available in that, in that finished work of Jesus. Amen. But in this chapter... He goes a little bit further, and I want us to look at it. Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and by blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit bears witness... Or takes the stand to testify. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. So in heaven, the Father, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost... They bear record. They are the, the testifying evidence in, 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 in court, you might say, or testifying, and their record is a sure and, and reliable record. But on the earth, it says there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one, and he has connected this to the victory that overcomes the world. He has connected this to the victory that overcomes the world. Now, I touched on it this morning, and I want to go back to it, because when I 
I was speaking of the fact that I am crucified with Christ. You didn't see me crucified with Christ. How am I going to prove that I've been crucified with Christ? Because you didn't see me. I don't have any wounds on my hand like Jesus has on his for me to be able to prove to you I have been crucified with Christ. But I do have one who was there who could take the stand for me. And so I want us to look from this aspect. And I want us to to find in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, who was there when Jesus offered himself on the cross to God Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, that's referring to Jesus offering himself on the cross, and he says that it was through the eternal spirit that he did that. So the spirit of God was there as Jesus hung on the cross. The Spirit was present helping Jesus fulfill the plan of God because He is the executor of God's will. He was watching over the Word in Genesis chapter 1 to perform it. When God spoke, let there be, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And when God's Word came forth, the Spirit of God was already there to complete and bring to completion what God had spoken. And Jesus, the Word made flesh, as He is following through the plan of God, Scripture tells us that He did so with the aid and with the help of the eternal Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God was there on the cross when you were crucified together with Christ. So if you need evidence, if the devil ever says you hadn't been crucified with Christ, you are still that same old sinner you've always been. You haven't died to sin. You can have the Holy Spirit take the witness stand and say, I was there. I was there. I was there when he hung on the cross with Jesus. I was there when she hung on the cross with Jesus. I am a testimony and a witness on the earth that they were crucified together with Christ. Galatians 2.20 is the scripture that I'm quoting when it says, I am crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. It is not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Why? Because I am crucified with Christ. That scripture is put in that verbiage so that you can make it yours. I am crucified with Christ. And the moment I received Jesus as my Lord on August 10th of 1992, God picked me up out of time and took me back 1992 years to the moment that Jesus hung on the cross and he put me on the cross together with Christ. In the mind of God, I've been on the cross with Christ. When Christ went to the cross, He went for you, Nancy. When Christ went to the cross, He went for you, Kevin. When Christ went to the cross, He went for you, Carrie. He went to the cross. If we put our faith, our faith connects us to the work and the victory associated with the work. I didn't have to physically experience the nails in my hands. 
but I got to receive the full benefit of Jesus having the nails in his hands because I put my faith that he did that for me. And because he was crucified for me, I am crucified with Christ. And my faith has put me there by faith with him. And the Spirit of God who was there testifies to it. Romans chapter 6 is another important element of our redemption. It says in Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized, so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. This is the importance of water baptism. It is just as important as receiving communion. It's just as important because it's an expression. It's a connection. It's a point of contact. When I went under the water, I, I was buried with him. I've been crucified, but to be resurrected, I have to be buried. So I've been crucified, but I need to be buried so that I can be resurrected. And so it says that when I was baptized, I was buried. When I was baptized, I was buried. We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. We are buried with him. With him, with him, with him. We're buried with him by baptism. I've been in the tomb with Jesus. I've been buried with him. When he went into the tomb, I went into the tomb with him by faith. About what he, my faith in what he did as being for me. I've been in the tomb with Jesus. I was buried with him. Hallelujah. I was buried with him by baptism. So that, or like, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now let me help you with the old English, what the old English leaves out. Just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I've been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we walk in the newness of life. Even so, meaning because I've been raised from the dead, I can walk in newness of life. If I haven't been buried, how can I be resurrected? To be resurrected, you have to be resurrected from that death. I've been buried with Him in baptism, and when I came up, I came up in the newness of life, resurrected by the glory of God. Hallelujah. Well, what if the enemy says, you're not dead to that. I still have sin. I still have sin control over you. I can push your buttons. I can push your buttons and get you to sin. No, no, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. It says that right here. If we've been planted together... In the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, because I've been buried and because I've been resurrected, I know that my old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. I no longer, I am no longer connected to the enemy's remote control. He can't push his sin remote control buttons and get me to to respond the way I did before Christ because now I'm dead to that. I've been reprogrammed. 
I respond to righteousness. It says that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from this moment forward, we should not serve sin. Now, that doesn't mean you can't sin, but if you sin, be quick to repent and just get it out of your life. Don't practice it. Don't practice it, and don't let it sit around and beat you up and condemn you either. Put it under the blood. Go to Jesus and repent, and he is faithful and just to cleanse you from unrighteousness. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. Amen? But it says that we don't serve sin. Our body isn't yielded to sin. Our body isn't isn't, uh, uh, under those compulsions. For he that is dead is free dead meaning i've been buried with him and resurrected he that is dead is freed from sin he that is dead is freed from sin knowing that if if no now if we be dead with christ we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that christ being raised from the dead dies no more death has no dominion over me Verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That means you've got to reconcile that. I don't have to yield to sin. Sin can come around and try to boss me around, but I don't have to do anything it tells me to do. I don't have to look at anything it tempts me to look at. I don't have to say anything it tempts me to say. I don't have to respond any way that it tempts me to respond because I don't have to serve it anymore. I am free to serve God. I'm alive unto God. I'm alive unto God. I'm dead to that sin. It's no longer controlling and manipulating me. Hallelujah. But what if the enemy comes and says, no, no, I still got, I still got a way to, to, no, no, you're not dead to that. Well, you need a witness. You need somebody to take the stand for you, don't you? You need somebody who will, who will be able to, to take that stand. Amen? Well, the water is a testimony. That water will take the stand for you. It says the water is a witness. God can go back to that water you were baptized in and say, yep, they were dead to sin. They, they, they were buried together with Christ. That water can take the witness stand for you. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll read verse 20. Hebrews 13 and 20. Because it says, The Spirit, the water, and the blood bear witness in the earth. And they agree. So the Spirit who was present with Jesus on the cross can witness you were there. And the water can take the witness stand and testify for you that you've been buried with Christ. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now often we want to recognize the blood at the cross, but the Bible says here, that it was the blood of the covenant that was the tool or the instrument that God used to legally raise Jesus from the dead. We know the same spirit that raised Christ. The spirit was also a participant in the resurrection. But for the purpose of our testimony, we want to recognize it was a covenant of blood. And it says, through the blood of the covenant, God brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. 
Hallelujah. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So that resurrection blood, that blood of the covenant that gave God the legal right to raise Jesus. And when we'll go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant because it was Abraham's willingness to offer his son and believe God. It says in the book of Hebrews that he had already taken into account that if God has to raise Isaac from the dead, God has promised me that my seed would come through Isaac and fill the whole earth so that it's like the stars of the sky, sky and the sands of the seashore. So Isaac's got to be raised. Isaac has to be raised from the dead. So I'm willing to obey God, but God's got to raise him. God's got to raise him because my seed must come through him. And so when he was in, in the process of obeying the instruction that God had asked of him as his covenant partner, God stopped him at the last moment because he didn't need Isaac's blood. He just needed Abraham's willingness and Abraham's faith that God would raise him. So that when God, who did need Jesus' blood, when God was ready to offer his son and his spotless blood on the cross, God had a legal right to raise him from the dead. So that blood of the covenant was the right that God had to raise Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. And that blood will testify for you. That blood will take the stand and witness that you have been raised from the dead by the blood of the covenant. Hallelujah. And because of that, you are no longer in a spiritual dead condition, but you are now alive unto God. Now, with that in mind, with knowing that he is telling us the spirit, the water, and the blood, they agree on the earth, and this is the victory that overcomes. This is the victory. Faith in what Jesus did in his crucifixion. Faith in what Jesus did in being buried. Faith in what God did in raising Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that if we don't believe that there is a resurrection, that God raised Jesus from the dead, we're all lost. Right? It's our faith in the crucifixion. It's our faith in what Jesus accomplished in his going to hell and being buried and, 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 and suffering in hell for those three days. It's our faith in the resurrection that gives us the victory, that positions us victorious. Hallelujah. This is the vic If you have faith that you're crucified, buried, and resurrected, there's nothing that can stop you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the victory that overcomes. That's the victory that overcomes. It's not just trying to believe those, those other aspects of life. Those are our benefits. But the, the root of my victory is what Jesus accomplished and my faith in it. And because I believe that I'm crucified with Him, I believe that I'm victorious over sickness. I believe that I'm victorious over lack. How can, how can anything under the curse triumph over me when, when I've been on the cross with Jesus and, and I have full benefit of everything He did on the cross. I have full benefit of everything He accomplished in the grave. I have full benefit of everything that, that occurred in the resurrection. 
I'm an heir of God because of that. I'm a joint heir with Jesus because of that. I have my name written in the Lamb's book of life. Death has no power over me. Hallelujah. So the curse surely doesn't have power over me. Do you see why we've got to be strongly entrenched in this? This is, this is doctrine, but this is basic reality for the believer. This is, this is the, the root system of your victory. This is the foundation of your overcoming. I'm crucified together with Christ. And that means everything he did in the crucifixion, I get the benefit. I didn't have to take any of the jabs. I didn't have to suffer any of the punches. But I get the full check. (laughs) I get to experience all of the benefit of what he accomplished. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands to the Lord and say, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the victory that is ours in Christ. Jesus didn't need victory. He did all this for us. We were the ones who needed victory. He gained the victory and gave it to us. Father, thank you for the victory that's ours. We receive and say thank you. And Lord, let that victory have its manifestation in our homes, in our relationships in our finances, in our physical health. Let us walk in the light of that victory. Let us, Father, help us not to leave that victory untouched on the table, but help us load our plate out of that victory bowl. Help us make, let, we're going to put it as the main entree on our plate. The victory of Jesus Christ. I'm going to eat of it. I'm going to receive of it. I'm going to partake of it. Every day, I'm going to let that victory, I'm going to yield myself to that victory that's mine in Christ. The triumph that's mine in Christ. The overcoming that you have called me to be. I'm going to yield myself to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There is a light that I desire for you to walk in. A light that is so bright and a light that causes every step to be so clear and so confident. And this is the way that I will make your feet like Heinz feet. This is the way that I will will order your steps. This is the way that I will cause you to walk upon the high places of the earth. As you walk in my light and as you walk in the reality of what is accomplished in Christ. As you walk in the truth, you will walk in a greater victory and a greater expression of my glory. Hallelujah. And there are so many things that I desire to reveal to you. 
There are so many areas of your life I desire to reveal answers. I desire to reveal solutions. I desire to show you a better way. And I'm asking if you will hunger and thirst. I'm asking if you will look unto me. And if you will seek me. Seek me like I'm a hidden treasure. Seek me like I am a a hidden treasure buried in, in a place where you've been made aware that it's there. But you've got to dig for it. I'm telling you there are truths for you to walk in. I'm telling you there are answers that are going to make your life so much simpler and so much fuller. If you'll seek for me, seek for my wisdom, desire my wisdom, hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst with a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. I desire to teach you to profit. I will teach you to profit. I will teach you kingdom principles that will put you over in life. But for you to hear and to receive them, there is a pruning away of information that is clouding the mind. Information and and mental activities that are hindering your hearing. Dulling your sensitivity of the spirit. The hunger and the thirst from your spirit is dulled when you feed on the world's words and the world's ideas. So to have a proper hunger, there must be a limitation and a turning down of the volume of the things that are dulling the hearing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I commit to you that I will turn off anything that is hindering me from hearing. Father, I desire... I hunger and I thirst to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. I want your wisdom in a greater manifestation in my life. Hallelujah. Will you just lift your hands and commit to the Lord? Commit to the Lord to bring a hunger and to separate yourself from anything that would dull your spiritual sensitivity. Would you, would you just search your own heart today? And can you find anything that you could turn down or turn off so that you could hear clearer what God would say? Could, could maybe some of you would benefit if you just deleted Facebook altogether. And that's a rescue for somebody. 
Hallelujah. It's not going to hurt you. But it'll definitely help you. Hallelujah. Whatever would desensitize, are you willing to cut it out of your life so that you can hear clearer? So that revelation can be received easier? So that you can have a hunger? Hallelujah. When we were first married, Pastor could eat a whole bag of Doritos. I mean, the kids didn't get any Doritos. He would eat the whole bag. And, you know, this is the wisdom that my sister-in-law gave me is she said, when your husband comes home, she walked into my kitchen, she opened up the cabinet, she said, let there be chips. You'll have a happy marriage. (laughs) Pastor no longer eats Doritos at all. But at the time... He would come home from work and he would go to the chip cabinet because I was, I was following that instruction and there were chips in the house. And he would eat those Doritos and I would say, dinner's almost ready. Don't eat the Doritos. I'm almost done. It's almost ready. And he's, he's like, that's okay. I'm going to eat my Doritos and then I'll eat your dinner. But, you know, he never enjoyed my dinner the way he could have enjoyed dinner as long as he ate those Doritos first because the eating of the Doritos, it caused him not to have the same hunger. And when that meal that I had worked so hard to prepare, you know, when you're really hungry, that first bite, you're like, ooh, that's good, (laughs) right? And your taste buds are, but when you've already just covered your taste buds with Dorito nacho cheese, then nothing I'm going to make is going to compare. Now, like I said, it's been years since he even ate a Dorito, and he is not interested in chips anymore. He is a very healthy eater. But in the day, and that's what always comes to me when I recognize there are things in this world that are like the Doritos that causes us to, it takes away our hunger And then when we taste what's real nutrition and what's really spiritually for us, we don't have the same appreciation if we have already filled our mouth with Doritos or or satisfied our hunger with something worldly. Hallelujah. Well, that was worth you coming to to church tonight. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough to correct us. Thank you, sir. We receive... And we recognize that there is a a level of, of hearing that we can come up in.